Secure your digital world in physical form with IM8Bit. For over 15 years, IM8Bit has been crafting premium expansions of the industry's best games, from pioneering community experiences for Epic's Fortnite World Cup to bringing over 100 award-winning soundtracks from breakout hits like Untitled Goose Game and Disco Elysium to vinyl, and bringing the Ori sequel to Switch. Their passion for artistry and gaming fuels them, whether they're interpreting beloved brands from a new point of view or extending the mythology of another game, perhaps one you're developing. What's the IM8Bit difference? Their collectibles are premium, but for IM8Bit, they're personal too. See for yourself at im8bit.com. Hi, I'm Ted Price from Insomniac Games, and on this episode of the Game Maker's Notebook, I spent time with Matt Nava. He's the founder and creative director for Giant Squid. Giant Squid has created two absolutely gorgeous games with Abzu and The Pathless. Matt and I covered a lot of topics, including the challenges of balancing being a CD with running a studio, Giant Squid's unique culture, and what it's like to be an independent studio today. Please join us. Welcome to the Game Makers Notebook, a podcast featuring a series of in-depth one-on-one conversations between game makers providing a thoughtful, intimate perspective on the business and craft of interactive entertainment. The Game Makers Notebook is presented by the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, a member-driven organization dedicated to the recognition and advancement of interactive entertainment. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah. And, and congratulations on The Pathless. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful game. And I, having played it, uh, it, it's a really nice sort of alternative uh, existence for me when it comes to expo- exploration and having a sort of a zen-like experience uh, in, in a game. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we tried to turn some of the... Um, things you see in a lot of other games on their head um take the things that made you remember that you're in a game out and focus on um creating an atmosphere and letting you really be there um and uh focusing on that exploration that was a that was the uh thesis of the game for sure well it's a, it's when it comes to the giant the games you make a giant squid it's it's definitely not something that's um, that's new because I felt like Abzu had the same feel, and I and I wanted I want to get into to that in particular, but more more importantly, what were your influences growing up? What what has inspired you to make games like this? Yeah, you know, it's um, it's something that I can't uh, escape. By whatever I make has this feel to it, and I, I hear that a lot. You know, I have. Um, I worked on Journey and Flower before, and, and uh, people can feel the connection between these games, um, which is interesting because it kind of happens accidentally. You look back and realize, yeah, that was uh, there's those are the connections. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, growing up, you know, um, I uh, was lucky enough to um, uh, travel around the world with my family. Uh, got to go to Europe and Mexico. And, I uh, went to India and saw a lot of museums and ancient ruins. My parents are artists, um, so they always wanted to check out all the museums wherever we went. Um, and so I was always looking at, you know, old paintings and suits of armor. And <laughs> um, I uh, I love all that stuff. I love ancient art. I love um, cave paintings and hieroglyphs and that kind of stuff. And um, it always felt like it had so much. Um, you just feel the history in those um, objects, and uh, you could feel this culture that was lost. It was vibrant, and it, it's always just kind of just really fascinating to see those artifacts and imagine the world that they came from. And you know, that's kind of what we're trying to do in these giant squid games: is create this place that evokes that sense that. There is another world here. You're getting a glimpse of it uh, through this artifact of the game and um, letting your mind kind of fill in the rest. Um, that's, I think there. that's one of the uh, <laughs> the kind of connections to 
to my earlier life. I think that's fantastic that you embraced going to museums. I know that I, I kind of always resisted it uh, when my family would go to museums, but to, to be into sort of ancient ancient art at an early age, that sounds great. Uh, did you always know that you wanted to make games? No. Um, I just knew that I wanted to make images. I loved to draw. Um, that's what I do. I, uh, my thing is that I can draw with a pencil. And um, I've just been doing that since I was born, basically. <laughs> um, and I went to art school and um, did a lot of figure drawing and life drawing and um, didn't really know what I was going to do with these skills. Um, I started teaching myself 3D animation and stuff. Actually, when I was in seventh grade, I uh, got a hacked copy of Cinema 4D and uh, learned it. Uh, just read the manual. Um, I was really interested in animation and 3D, but I never really put it together that uh, real-time 3D and, and video games and uh, and all of that would connect with my, my uh, drawing would help direct these kind of games. Uh, but yeah, I thought I was going to do visual effects. I thought I was going to do movies. And I actually did a couple very small um, like TV ads before I... Um, got a job in the in the game industry so you live in los angeles right yes i'm in los angeles and did you have you always lived in los angeles uh no i uh grew up in ojai um which is a small town a couple hours north of la uh it's near ventura but it's this sleepy little valley that um is very beautiful and a lot of nature hikes and gorgeous mountains and also uh, a lot of wildfires. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, we'd always come down to LA to, um, you know, check out the cool things happening, but it was a very sleepy little town. Uh, yeah. Oh, is beautiful. I've been there and it's, uh, I also live in, in LA and I, I asked about that because it's at the time, I, I would say 20 years ago, LA was the place you needed to be if you wanted to get into the FX industry. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, um, I remember, uh, my dad and I just drove down to LA to check out art schools when I was uh, in high school. And, um, uh, you know, that's why we came here because this is where the industry was. This is where visual effects was. And, um, everybody who was going to art schools in LA was just going right into that industry. Um, and I knew, I knew a whole bunch of people, uh, who did that. Um, did motion graphics and all this kind of thing. And it just so happened that um, uh, like the Sony studios, Naughty Dog studios and uh, that game company, which was embedded in Sony, were all just on the same block as these other studios that were doing TV ads. And so I just walked over and did an interview one day. Oh, that's really cool. So it wasn't, it was sort of serendipity that you got into the industry. You were, you saw a, a job opening and, well, it was a weird thing where um, uh, I was graduating from art school at Otis College of Art and Design. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you, as a senior there, you do a senior show and they invite industry people to come check out the portfolios of the students. And it's mostly, you know, um, visual effects people and stuff. But um, Genova Chen, the creative director, founder, of that game company swung by um, for my senior show. And he saw my stuff and um, they had actually hired a, another Otis grad before. And, um, uh, you know, uh, I, I had already gotten kind of a gig going, but I was like, you know, let's stay in touch. And, and eventually um, uh, I ended up working at that game company with him. So that kind of connection formed there, but, uh, kind of took shape a little later. <laughs> yeah. Got it. And so you worked on journey, which I, I admit is one of my favorite games of all time. Uh, <laughs> and, and which and were you were the art director, right? That is correct. Yes. Wow. That, that was, I mean, journey had such a, to me, at least a unique style. Uh, was, was there anything in particular outside of your sort of your childhood travels that inspired you for the art on journey? You know, 
the art from Journey was um, this thing that came. It was very difficult to discover and to um, come to because that game um, we worked on it for about three years, and we started with almost nothing. We had just this idea that we wanted to make a multiplayer game where you were going to befriend people instead of uh, you know competing with them or shooting them with guns and <laughs> and there wasn't really much beyond that and my task was you know what does that look like and um, the characters and everything um, took a lot of discovery a lot of um, uh, redoing to and refining to uh, come upon and um, yeah we uh, uh, kind of listened to players and I kind of tried to make the art in the game reflect what I was drawing and painting um, because we just knew that we couldn't make something that was trying to be photoreal or uh, like we just didn't have these kind of resources. A lot of it was defined by the constraints that we had um, and trying to make something that could be timeless, that could last within those constraints. Uh, uh, that was kind of the challenge uh, for that project. Well, congratulations on delivering something that really was stunning and, and uh, was well-recognized by the industry for breaking new ground. Thank you. Yeah, it was um, crazy, you know, like you never expect to have that kind of reaction to it, but... Um, uh, sometimes, you know, you can never predict it. Uh, that game just, it really resonated with people and it, it's just really, really awesome to, to have seen that happen. Yeah. So as you were, well, maybe I'll, I'll ask this independent of that game company. Do you remember the moment that you started, you decided to start Giant Squid? You know, after I finished Journey, um, everybody on the team kind of dispersed that uh, they went their separate ways. Um, and I had this um, kind of choice of what I wanted to do next. I was in this position where I could go work at another studio or I could do my own thing. And uh, I had this idea for a short film that I wanted to try making. And um, it was going to be this underwater <laughs> A uh, thing about a diver, you know, going to the bottom of the ocean, uh, because I um, had these experiences as a scuba diver um, that were inspiring me to make this. And um, I was, I did this little uh, trailer for it, and a little animated short. Like, okay, this is, you know, the, the concept piece. And I started showing it to some people I knew, and they all said, "This is a video game. You got to make this a game." And um, I was like, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. Uh, so, um, and eventually, uh, that was kind of uh, the impetus for starting the studio to make that game um, and to see if we could do it. And the uh, the the launch trailer for Abzu was uh, basically a a, a uh, amped up version of that initial hmm. trailer that I had made. That was a beautiful. I remember that launch trailer. I remember it was uh, unveiled at a at uh, E3 during a press conference, wasn't it? That is correct. Yes. Yeah. It was, uh, qu that was quite a break for us. Is um, you know, as a kind of startup with no history or anything, to be able to get on the stage um, for a Sony press conference at E3, that was you know pretty much unheard of. <laughs> so we we really lucked out. Well, at that point, were you guys already in production or was it early on in creating apps? Early on. Um, it was a lot earlier than we had planned to reveal it. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, we had barely started making, we had the character controls, you know, just in a prototype phase. And like, it, was, it was very much just a vision and a couple people thinking about it still, so. <laughs> okay, so here's a crazy question. How much earlier uh, than the press conference had you come up with the name for Giant Squid? Oh, um, 
Well, the uh, the name uh, that came out uh, earlier, a lot earlier. We, a lot earlier. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We had discovered um, the, the we knew the idea of the game was going to be this underwater um, thing. It was supposed to be mysterious, and um, and so you know what was an underwater mysterious thing that evoked that sense for the company. You know, now we're the squids. <laughs> Got it. I only ask that just selfishly because when I was when we were early on at Insomniac, uh, we were Extreme Software X T R E M E, and uh -huh. we were working on our first game, Disruptor, and we realized that we were going to be we had an opportunity to show it at I think it was the second E three uh, way back, and we had to change our name because another company actually was using extreme and had dibs on it. So we had a couple of weeks to figure out what our name was. So uh, you, you guys sound like a, you were a lot more organized than we were. Yeah. We were thinking about it. And then after we kind of said, okay, this is going to be it. Then we, I realized like, oh my God, there's like a bunch of indie games with the word giant in their name. There's like <laughs> uh, super giant and giant sparrow. And oh, there's also like right. giant bomb. And, like there's like so many giant things. Oh no, but <laughs> it was too late. That's funny. Well, it fits. I mean, Giant Squid's yeah. a great name. I, I actually didn't even think about Super Giant or or any of the others. I just Giant Squid seems to work, and that's just me being subjective. But uh, it's yeah, it's fun. So now, so having started Giant Squid and and gotten gotten started on Abzu, uh, you 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 had made the transition from being an art director to now a creative director and head of your own studio. What was what was that transition like for you? It was a big jump and I didn't really know quite what that meant. You know, I, I had worked on Flower as an art director, but it was really my first game gig and I learned a lot there and then uh, worked on Journey all the way through from start to finish and um, as an art director. But um, it was a small team over at that game company and everybody was doing a lot of things and I was doing a lot more than just art direction. I was a level designer. I was an environment artist, animator, concept artist, and narrative designer. <laughs> I mean, I did all of that stuff. Um, and so all of that experience kind of handling a lot of things uh, really helped. But, you know, I hadn't managed a company. I hadn't, uh, you know, directed programmers and um, hiring and all these kinds of things and you know we we learned a lot uh, in that process and um the uh, the main thing that happened was that uh it took us a long time to find the right people uh to join the team and so that kind of delayed our ramp up and the whole thing got a little squished at the end a little bit crazy and mm -hmm. you know the the scope of the game shifted and changed and um we realized that I was kind of a bottleneck. You know, I, <laughs> I loved to do all of those things that I had done on journey, but now there was all these people who needed more from me. They needed more direction and they needed, in addition to just needing animation files or the level to be done so they could prototype whatever, you know, like they also needed um, uh, design docs and, and, and all this kind of thing. And so after we, shipped abzu we had this conversation which was like okay well that was really hard you know why and uh how can we make it so that you're less of a bottleneck and um and what roles should we uh hire and how can we change up the team's makeup to um to address that that core issue <laughs> um so and and that's kind of the uh the main thing that we did that allowed us to kind of make a bigger game for the pathless, I think. I, if it makes you feel any better, I ran into the exact same problem. Uh, I was a bottleneck as a creative director and uh, and trying to run the company at the same time. And you, you addressed it, I think, probably five games before I did. Um, so your team is probably <laughs> much better off as a result. Uh, but that's a, it's a great lesson, I think, for any Anybody who starts a company who is taking on a key creative role, right? It's there's so many other things that you don't realize you have to do when you're running a company and responsible for the well-being of all the 
all the team members. Yes, you know, and because what you what I realized at least was that it was so hard to find these people who are and they are so valuable. These team members, uh, they're the real um, uh, value of the company, and you got to take care of them, like you say, and you have to uh, make sure that they they're happy and fulfilled and want to keep working with you so that you don't have to keep starting over from zero every time. And um, uh, that is a trick to pull off, you know, and then you also have to, I'm sure you've uh, experienced this as well, much many more times than me, but once the project's over, you better get something else going, you know, because right. uh, you got to keep the, keep the people on board. Uh, it's a trick. It's a great, it's a great point for, again, for anybody who is thinking about getting into business, that is, we are in this, uh, yeah, I wouldn't say it's a flywheel, but we are constantly having to look for the next thing as in this industry, unless you're working on a, on a multiplayer game that has a, a established base of players. It's a, it's a challenge and it's, but it's the responsibility of the person who's in charge of the studio to make sure everybody has a job right after the, the game ships. Yes. Um, and, and there's a whole bunch of ways that you can achieve that. You know, lots of studios start to make multiple games at the same time or bring in multiple creative directors to kind of, uh, again, address the bottleneck, you know, of just having one guy with a vision having to come up with uh, the, uh, the golden idea that's going to keep everything going, you sure. know, because that's a that's a risky thing you know so far that's how we've been operating and it's it's tricky to break out of that you know but um it takes a lot of trust in your team and and uh it takes you know a big shift and you can't make those shifts all the time especially mid-production so right it's a it's a challenge well you mentioned vision so did you have a specific vision for your culture when you started the company yeah you know i didn't really think about a vision for it in in that way but it really kind of was a key element because when i was working at that game company um the culture there on on at uh, at that time at least was very difficult it was uh it was a very um there's a lot of angry people a lot of arguing and yelling and emotion in that uh, space and it was uh, it was trying and you know everyone was trying to make this brilliant thing but they all had their own <laughs> kind of idea of what it should be and um, I wanted to make a th place where it was just really fun and collaborative and you know obviously there's going to be tough questions and you got to say no and you got to critique and you got to you know whittle ideas down um but you but you could do it in a way that's positive and and that's why we really took our time um hiring is was to uh make sure that everybody was on the same page culture fit that everybody was a good could be friends with each other and um so the vision of what that culture was started out as this very simple thing, you know, like, let's just be friends. And then it evolved with the personalities that we brought on. And now there is this very kind of giant squid um, culture that exists. That's, that is that, you know, it, it we've really focused on that and, and everybody is uh, uh, as far as I can tell, uh, <laughs> at least. Um, okay. You know, it, they um, they're having fun while they work on these games, uh, so I, so I'm very proud of that aspect of the company. That's really commendable. Uh, are there specific things that you do to uh, manage conflicts in a way that feels uh, appropriate for your culture? Because there are either conflicts, right? I mean, you guys, I'm sure you oh, have yeah. some disagreements on on oh, that. absolutely all the time. You know, like I, my thing is, you know, I'm a very opinionated guy. Like that's kind of my job is to be able to say yes to this and no to that. You know, <laughs> um, so like that just comes with the uh, the space of the the work is to have these conflicts that have to be resolved, and it's tricky because it's different for everybody you know, on the team and you have to really listen to everybody. And this is something that I've been learning even over the course of 
the development of the pathless just recently, you know, like we have had to deal with um, the different issues that arise with different people in different ways. And um, it just helps to listen. You have to, you have to listen and you have to also, um, you know, have a way to test the game that's uh, empirical and, and uh, not emotional and everybody that's the kind of thing that actually got us through on journey even um when things were difficult it was like okay everybody can't agree on what the direction here is let's just put in a play test and see how players react and everybody can understand that if they don't get it then it's not working you know so you kind of have this uh final uh, uh tool mm -hmm. to get through the toughest uh disagreements but uh but it really helps to to listen and check in with everybody and and uh and i wasn't a real big fan of like the one-on-ones and the kind of corporate idea of like uh management managing people uh but uh we've started doing one-on-ones recently you know and and a lot of times i actually have um uh, other people help me do them because and then i talk to them about how it went uh, because i think that some people can be more open if they're not talking directly to the boss, you know what I mean? Uh, so it's figuring out the best way for people to be able to express what they're going through because you don't want to be surprised, you know? Uh, In a company of your size, do you have bandwidth to have people be devoted to say managing people exclusively or do you, do, are, do you have, for example, leads who are creating assets, but also managing folks? Or, or yeah, is that all on you? Uh, it's a it's a definite uh, thing that we've tried different arrangements, you know, of different structures. And you know, when you're when you're really small, everybody is aware of what everybody else is doing. Mm -hmm. And depending on how tight your culture is, you can keep that up until a certain point. And even if your if your culture is fantastic, everybody's on the same page. At a certain number of people, you just can't keep it all in your head. Right. So you have to now have some kind of hierarchy and some kind of tracking and all this kind of thing. And, um, and what we've kind of realized um, happened uh, during the development of Pathless, which was you know a much bigger game than Abzu, was that I just couldn't handle uh, keeping, like directing every element of the game. And... Um, uh, I would have to kind of delegate that direction a bit to some of my leads. And we kind of started to build this um, structure. And so now we've kind of um, had that same conversation we had at the end of Abzu, you know, what what's the uh, changes that we need to make to make our lives easier next time? And um, we've uh, kind of uh, decided to, um, that the next step of, unbottlenecking the team against me is to delegate more of that direction and you know luckily i've found these kind of great devs who i can trust and um uh, to be able to do that and so i just am able to say okay the prototype that we want to make is going to go for this and i'll write up a design doc and i'll write notes and draw concept art and all this kind of thing and then they'll be able to help get a version of that to a certain state while I'm working on another part of the game then I'll check in on it and do critiques and, and all that kind of thing. So that's kind of our um, approach this time. But yeah, it's definitely kind of going in this direction of requiring more trust from me in the, in the team itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I want to reference where we are in terms of uh, time. Uh, we, since we are still in the middle of a pandemic, how did did the events of 2020 change how that worked for you? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because um, we were all working in the shared, like a little studio space, right? And um, uh, we had a, uh, a fun time just hanging out together. And uh, the culture was very much, you know, about being in the same place. And um, we had started to hire some remote people um, 
because it was just hard to find people, right? So we had a person on the other side of the country in a different time zone. And, and even when we just had hired this one remote person, we had to basically get up to speed on remote work because everybody had to work with them and they, uh, you know, we're in a different time zone. So we, we bought everybody headsets and we brought, got cameras and started doing all that video, um, conferencing and everything, um, before the pandemic. Hmm. Um, and so when the, the pandemic hit, the only difference was we were just like, okay, well, everybody take their computer home. That's it. And, um, so it was weird because it was surprisingly easy to make that shift for us. Um, and at the same time, we were working with Apple, you know, on the art, like we're, they're publishing the game for iPhones and things. And just seeing how the, they struggled through this, like it was fundamentally different uh, because of their scale. You know, like they just could not pivot that quick. And they were completely out of commission um, for a good month or two months, three months before you could really kind of get a hold of somebody over there. Huh. Um, Whereas we were just like, okay, we're still working. Like, and, and, uh, you know, it, it was the toughest thing is, was mostly on the morale and just seeing everybody. Cause we were, we enjoyed hanging out together. And so that was the toughest part for us, you know, has it, uh, has the, have the events of the last year changed how you look at work and over the next say five or so, so years? Has it brought permanent changes for you guys? Yeah, you know, I mean, it 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 definitely um, made us realize that there were a lot of things that we could not have done if we were uh, not able to work this way. Hmm. Uh, when we were shipping the game, you know, you're going through cert and you need somebody, and it's this crazy time, and hey. You could just call them and you can share the screen and you can get it done. And, you know, um, we, there was a few times when, um, things just really happened fast because you already knew that everybody had a remote setup, like everybody in the industry. Um, my favorite example was, uh, at the very last minute, we brought on, uh, Troy Baker and Laura Bailey to do a uh, voice recording for characters in our game. Mm -hmm. uh, and right up until the last minute, we were like, oh my God, what are we going to do with the voice acting in this game? Uh, and I mean, it was down to the wire. And like over the course of like three days, we connected with them, made it all happen and transformed the game. Uh, and that whole process just would not have been as fast. So it for you know the future of the company, <laughs> the immediate future is that we're not going to renew our lease, you know, on our space um, because it's not, there's not enough certainty yet to kind of commit to going back. And yeah. right now, why are you paying for this big overhead? Um, you know, so at the, at the moment, we're just going to be in a remote state indefinitely until we get some certainty. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I think that's, that's great flexibility. And, and the, that's a, seems like a smart call to me, uh, to do that, especially if it's working. I mean, you guys were also able to ship you know, a launch title for the PlayStation five, which yeah. is incredible. I mean, that's uh, doing that in a pandemic. And I can say that from, from personal experience is not easy. And, uh, the fact that the pathless it is a launch title for the PlayStation five must've also been a cool experience for you. Uh, uh, oh yeah was it yeah. cool it was super cool you know it was uh you always hear devs talk about oh man if you can be a launch title that's just that's so cool you know that's the dream you, you're gonna get out there you know, everybody's gonna t you know you're gonna be on every list of launch titles forever people are gonna remember your game you know it's like this huge ticket and it doesn't roll around every every time and so we were able to line it up and and uh what a cool experience um to be a part of you know and um and uh the playstation 5 is a really neat piece of hardware you can really 
it really elevated the game in a lot of ways. It did some. We were able to use use it to to make the game really run nice. And, um, oh yeah, I mean it's it is so smooth. I mean, it's your you know, your key mechanic, the sliding and shooting is really feels good at yeah. at the frame rate you have it running, and yeah. uh, and of course the game looks gorgeous too. Uh, thank you. Yeah, and you know, like you said, it it was a challenge, and um, and but you know, once you kind of do that during a pandemic, you kind of realize, yeah, we could probably do anything. <laughs> uh, so it was, uh, you know, every challenge is different. You know, we've never started a new project or prototype to, you know, we we finished one, and and the difference is that when you're at the, the tail end of a project, everything is just a list. It's like, okay, go through the bug list and fix everything. Everybody knows exactly what to do everything is very highly scheduled so it is definitely different than you know the beginning and how do you do that remotely but being able to do that has given us a lot of confidence well speaking of the beginning of the pathless and by the way i didn't ever congratulate you on the pathless uh, it's again congratulations on on the game and i was wondering about how you made the decision after abzu to start a new IP. And I only ask this because sequels, right? Sequels tend to be the sort of most obvious next step once you've spent all of that creative energy creating a new IP, but you guys went for it and uh, took a sort of a, a created a new direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was, the, it, what was your thought process behind that? Yeah, you know, is um, maybe not the most genius thought process at first, but, <laughs> um, but the, uh, the idea was, you know, that we felt like Abzu was a contained experience that it didn't really make sense for a sequel. Mm-hmm. And the other reason was that um, when we first started designing Abzu, the design was much more like the Pathless. It was going to be an open world and you were going to visit landmarks around this big reef, you know, and there's a kelp forest over here and you can go any which way and and eventually you're trying to get down to the bottom of the ocean you know that was kind of the 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 structure but what we realized was that as we prototyped it the underwater environment made it hard to do that for one real important reason which is that you can't really see far <laughs> underwater yeah um and so we we after the game shipped we were like well we ended up making a game that worked for the story we wanted to tell and the space that we wanted to inhabit and the atmosphere that we wanted to create. And the structure was dictated by that. And then we were like, well, what if we wanted to, what would the um, atmosphere, what would the environment be that would make it easier to do the structure that we want to make? And um, the answer was, you know, instead of going down, go up to a floating island, you know, this play on this basic instinct of people that you want to get up higher mm-hmm. and you want to see far. So, you know, um, make a character that can fly and jump and, um, you know, all these things kind of fell out from this idea of like, how could we actually make that game and make it intuitive uh, with the kind of metaphor of the art and the, and the atmosphere. Um, so yeah, the, you know, as we uh, continue, the thought of you know, is it smarter to make a sequel or something in the same universe? It uses the same tools and all that kind of stuff. Like that's something that we still consider and uh, is probably going to be the right choice someday. But at that point, we uh, we felt like um, shifting the IP was going to be the way to let us achieve that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, at what point did, did Annapurna get involved? Very early. Um, after Abzu uh, shipped, uh, well, actually, before Abzu shipped, um, we anticipated this common problem, which is, you know, that, hey, the money runs out and you haven't made enough sales yet uh, to, you know, uh, be in profit and you got to bridge this gap to the next project. and. And I mean, uh, that was a tough moment for us between the projects. I mean, we we uh, we were skating on very thin ice, um, and uh, luckily, uh, I was able to pitch this the Pathless um, 
while we were in our last phase of development for Abzu. And we showed it around and uh, Annapurna got it. You know, they they were new, but um, they're being headed up by people that I uh, knew and had uh, uh, from before and uh, trusted. And um, we decided to work together and they helped us uh, bridge that gap. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, they've done, they've done, they, they have been such a great supporter of new IP, uh, groundbreaking IP, right? IP yeah. that, that yeah. needs to be different. It's awesome. Yeah. You know, Nathan Gary, the guy who um, heads up uh, Annapurna over there, he's got uh, an eye for, for that. You know, he can really kind of see uh, the value in a small uh, game, even before in its early stages, uh, they, they, it's a very valuable, uh, part of the industry to yeah. have that. So in making the pathless during production, what was the biggest challenge for you? Oh man. Um, there were so many, but <laughs> what was your uh, favorite big challenge or maybe, maybe your, your least favorite big challenge. <laughs> you know, it was interesting when we started the game, I knew that, it was going to be this shadowy forest. And I knew that there was going to be archery and this eagle, but we didn't know much more. Um, and uh, it took us a long time to discover the, not the moment to moment stuff, um, both on Abzu and Pathless, we've pretty immediately got the character movement and control. Uh, we had that shooting, bounding, flying thing very early, um, the moment-to-moment stuff. But what you were doing every 20 minutes was tricky because uh, we knew we were going to have these bosses and we knew we were going to um, uh, go higher and higher up this uh, island. But the landmarks and the puzzles and the kind of spirit vision that lets you see uh, distant um uh, goals to go and check out came on very late and hmm. um, and uh, we tried a whole lot of things uh, to figure out that one but uh, it kind of became a signature element of the game that there's no map that uh, instead you are using uh, the terrain itself to get up high and get on top of some tower or something and look out and um, figure out the mapping in the world your navigation is tied to the exploration in a, in a really interesting way that's very different and it kind of defined the way that you interact with this world and made it different than other open world structured uh, games so it was a big challenge but it also became one of the coolest parts of the game yeah i would agree with that i mean that's one of the, the things that helps the game stand apart uh you know and speaking of of challenges, you go head to head with teams that are almost 10 times your size, right? And you mentioned constraints at the beginning of our talk. And it's a, it's pretty amazing to watch a giant squid embrace those constraints in the game design and the art style that you choose. Uh, what do, do you sort of actively and enunciate those constraints as you guys are are going into production and say, Hey, you know, we only have, we have this many people, we have this much time. Let's you know, figure out our scope within those constraints. It's interesting because, um, like you say, those constraints really define the design and what we can do, but it also is a way to get to an elegant design. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's something that I really strive for is to make it elegant, to make it as simple as it can possibly be and still express the full experience. And um, I think that there's a, a, a danger when those constraints aren't there that uh, it can become muddied or it can become there can be extraneous things in the game that that um don't really need to be there and it's like well if you don't really need it why is it there and Mm -hmm. um and to me uh you know some of my 
favorite games that I grew up with, you know, Shadow of the Colossus, Ico, the Ueda games. Um, they were big budget, big, you know, experience games, but very constrained as well and elegant and, uh, and, and, and that was their strength. And so, uh, you know, it's something that, um, the actually kind of got burned into me working at that game company because they do that they they do say you know what this is these are the limits these are you, you know that's a really cool thing you made but you're gonna have to get rid of it because we're not going to be able to do that you know like mm-hmm. that was kind of their their workflow mm-hmm. um when we started giant squid my my thing is um uh, I'm the guy who kind of shoots for like the bigger scope version. <laughs> and then the team kind of shoots me down. You know, I, I'm, I'm pushing the, the limit on, well, could we do something like this? You know? Um, but at the same time, I, you know, I balance that with trying to find that the core and just letting only the elements that need to be there exist. So. I think it's great that the team is willing to, say, hey, no, creative, crazy creative director, we need to <laughs> back on this. I mean, I've, I've been in that position and it's sometimes people are intimidated. Uh, you know, I think it, it's true. And and that's where the culture comes in. You know, I, I know that it can be tough to talk to me because I'm the I'm the boss man. And, um, you know, I wasn't always the boss man. I, I was I was in that position, too. So I know I was and I want to make it so that you know, acknowledge that that's always going to be the case in some way, but make it so that it is possible that, uh, you know, the, the people can talk to me, you know, and, and, uh, if they can't talk to me, talk to someone else. And then are there any things that you do specifically <laughs> to put people at ease and reassure them that it's okay to tell, you no? you know, I just talk to people. That's it. I just, uh, I'll just, uh, you know, like I'll talk to my animator about the game design. I'll talk to my game designer about the animation. I'll talk to everybody about everything and concept artists about um, what they think about the, the feel. And um, because, you know, just, just to make it so that, you know, like I, I don't like, even when we were in a, the same space, I didn't have my own office. I was just in one big room with everybody. I was just trying to make it feel like I'm just another person on the team. Uh, and, you know, I think that, Obviously, there is a hierarchy, and I think that the, there's a value to the hierarchy so that there can be direction and there can be um, choices made that help limit the scope of what any one person on the team has to worry about. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, uh, I'm accessible and the leads are accessible, and trying to just make sure that that is clear you know, is really important. I agree. I mean, that's a great message to have where, you know, we're always accessible. Uh, it's, I think that, uh, for all of us as craftspeople, it is pretty easy to get so caught up that we forget that we may not, we may think we're accessible, but without reminders, most people may not be accessing us. That's true. You know, and it, it does take a, a consistent effort, you know, that you have to put in to make that happen and, uh, got to do your best, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, I want to talk a little bit just just in a, the waning moments we have about being an independent developer. And what do you think is different today about being an independent developer versus, say, five years ago? Oh, yeah, this is a great question. You know, I think the, the biggest thing is that there's just so many more <laughs> independent developers out there. And, you know, I, which is fantastic. I remember people asking me this question, you know, back when I was working on Journey. And the answer was, you know, well, it's, it's amazing because there's, you know, the, there's so much room for new ideas and, and new people to come in. And, and now it's like, Hey, everybody's made it there. People are able to make video games. And that's so cool. You know, I was always advocating for that. And and now a lot of, there's a lot of really great tools that are free. And, and the question now is how do you make your game say something worthwhile uh, because it's not just a matter of standing out um, which of course is super important especially when like you say you go up against teams 10 times your size you got to have something that 
makes you uh, com- competitive. But at the same time, uh, you know, the, the space is full of people who are doing smaller things and that allows them to do more creative things and, and, and say interesting things. And so I think that the, the question now is what are you going to say? Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, uh, you know, the world needs some help. It needs some advice. <laughs> you know, it needs, it needs some direction and some guidance and some help. And I think that video games, uh, their great power is to, to make a connection with people. Um, and they can say something and they can affect people. And so, um, you know, that's what we're always trying to think about, you know, what is, what is worth saying? I think that is an absolutely wonderful note to conclude on. I can't think of a stronger statement, frankly, Um, (laughs) seriously. I, I hope that any, uh, any person who is interested in getting into development or becoming a creative director can, can think about those words and, and answer them for themselves because it'll make our industry, you know, a better place and have more positive impact on the world. Yeah. You know, I think, um, when I think about the games that I grew up with, you know, they influenced who I am today. And, and as developers, you know, that's what we're making for people who are playing them as kids now, you know, it's going to make people who they are. Very cool. I, I, if people have questions for you, are you active on social media? Uh, yes, I am. I mean, I don't speak too much, but I will respond to people and um, on Twitter and and uh, we've got a Discord where we're kind of building our community as well around our games. Okay. Do, what What is your Twitter handle? At Matt underscore Nava. Okay. Well, great. Well, Matt, thank you so much for taking the time. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Really nice to talk to you. Thanks a lot. Thank you for joining us for the Game Maker's Notebook. For more information on the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, our podcasts, and our other initiatives, please visit www.interactive.org.